Standard Issue for all women. Hey, hey. Welcome to episode two of the Standard Issue podcast. I'm Mickey Noonan, and nine years ago, I read John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath to a baby puma. Twice. I'm joined by... I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I've seen both my parents on fire. And I'm Jen Offord. I own four leopard print dresses, one of which I'm wearing today. Later on, Sarah Millican will be answering the very important question. I chatted to American comedian Kate McCabe about that odious Satsuma, Donald Trump, and I'll also be giving you my five-minute guide to what you can watch on TV this summer if you're not wandering around the National Shire Horse Museum in the driving drizzle. And I'll be chatting about exciting developments for women's sports ahead of the Tokyo Olympics. Dunleavy will also be doing Disney's The Lion King. But first, the continuing ship lizard that is democracy. Sort of. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph. As passionate about women's news as Nigel Farage is about getting a knighthood, but way better qualified. It has been a big old week for news. What the fuck just happened? I feel somewhat vindicated that the results of this year's first general election have proven that Jeremy Corbyn was the right person for the job as Labour leader after all. This comes after two years of ridicule for supporting him, but fortunately the lilac-haired millennials also had his back and put down their pot noodles to make their way to the polling stations. While it's exciting to see young people finally getting involved in their future, it begs the question, where were you last year? And the year before. At the time of recording, Theresa May is still clinging on to power like wily coyote on a cliff edge as Roadrunner in the near distance. That's right. As we speak, Theresa May is still Prime Minister, but by the time you're listening to this, it could well be Boris Johnson, Lord Buckethead, or even Brenda from Bristol. I really like the idea of her being PM and someone running in saying, Prime Minister, North Korea's launched a test missile. Not another one! (laughs) (laughs) There's too much politics going on at the moment! Meanwhile, in La La Land, hope still exists that Corbyn could lead the country at the head of a rainbow coalition, although I largely lost interest when Alex Salmon could no longer take on the role of Zippy. Instead, it looks like the supporting role in the Coalition of Chaos will be played by bigoted cockwhistles the DUP and directed by Eli Roth. And it's genuinely horrific for women's rights. It probably won't affect our rights here, but it's certainly not going to do anything to progress those of the women in Northern Ireland. In fact, it seems to me the only people who could possibly benefit from this is the Tory government, which may garner some support in the Commons, and will of course look better. In the same way, jizz might be a palate cleanser if you've just eaten a shit sandwich. Talking of shit sandwiches, and indeed misogynists, fake news came out on Twitter that the angry pixie Philip Davis had been ousted from his Shipley seat, which had us slapping each other on the tits, sorry, I mean high-fiving, until it turned out to be an alternative fact. On a brighter note, UKIP appeared to pick up just one vote for every 3.5 hours of airtime the BBC gave Farage in the last year and looked dead in the water. Leader Paul Nuttall stood down after failing to win the Boston seat, although he'll no doubt tell you that he won the whole shit show. And in other news, American opportunists Fred and Fart are patronising single women everywhere by assuming their self-esteem is so low they need to make a, and I quote, pinky promise to commit to themselves. What? I mean, what, what does that even mean? Anyway, apparently they've created a ring that not only celebrates a woman's independence but also encourages self-love. Which may or may not mean it vibrates. More news as it very much happens.
That was the Bush Telegraph. More women's news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. Oh, hey there. It's that time of the week where we mosey around the media's batshit view of women and get increasingly incensed that we're mainly supposed to be pretty and shut the fuck up. If there's one woman who isn't bossy, but is in fact the boss, it's Beyonce. Which makes it even more ridiculous that TMZ chose to run a video article headed Ultimate Baller Jay-Z Leaves the Baby Machine at Home. The Baby Machine. Beyonce. Really? If you've read any of Standard Issue, you'll know that Beyoncé is the figurehead for my mainstream female empowerment. My bicycle's also named after her. And after a two and a half thousand mile road trip across America in which she did some terrible things to my undercarriage, it's the bike, not the woman, I can confirm that Beyoncé is probably my non-baby machine. Yowzers. The idea that a woman who to me and many others is a beacon of liberation, power and success should be reduced to baby machine is frankly fucking ludicrous. Agreed. But TMZ are tapping into a tale as old as time. Women, uh, what are they good for? Well, popping out tiny humans, and that's pretty much it. And yet, even the swiftest glance at Beyoncé Nay Knowles' career would indicate otherwise. She's fearless about putting feminism in her work. Market employees say, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Either way, it's still getting the message out to millions of impressionable girls and young women who might not otherwise hear it. And yeah, sure, she might get her arse out a lot, but it is a splendid arse and her Instagram shows that she coexists peacefully with trousers in her spare time. TMZ, chiggity check yourself. If Yonce were a boy? This is a headline we couldn't resist, but we're proper grateful you've been sending in your ideas and we absolutely want you to send in more. You can write to us at mailbag at standardissuemagazine.com, follow us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm in the Chill House in King's Cross with comedian Kate McCabe. Hi. We're going to be talking about Donald Trump. What a time to be a woman in America, right? Yeah, and even outside of America, beware. What's it like to be watching from abroad? Election morning was one of my worst mornings ever. I was really, really concerned about how my British friends would perceive me and also what I would have to do as an American living over here. Would I be living in a constant state of having to explain myself and having to separate myself from what I view to be entirely odious and loathsome? And I found the opposite was true. So many hugs coming my way. And I think, especially because it was right after Brexit, a lot of my British friends were really familiar with what it felt like to be humiliated on a world stage. But I found it extremely frustrating. I also think it certainly highlighted some flaws in our electoral system because let's not forget by how many votes Hillary Clinton won the popular vote and still isn't our president. I hope it's over soon, that's for sure. That seems to be the constant question. um, Yeah, when will it end? I'm thinking 2018 midterms. Possibly. I don't think the Republicans are going to do anything about it. So what they say is there's three different pathways. Well, there's the the obvious two, which are impeachment, which will be really hard to do with Republicans. Republicans leading both the Congress and the Senate because they would have to be the ones that are initiating it and or getting the majority votes on it. The 25th Amendment is the other way that people are talking and that is saying that this person is not fit to be president but I think you have to do a lot of proving there and I think it's untested therefore it's probably not very straightforward. The other way that I think could happen or maybe there's four things. 
the FBI investigation of his ties to Russia are, are too conclusive to ignore. So let's say that we uncover something that is, is huge, 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 which I already think we're there. And then the, the final way, which might be the most likely, is that Trump sees himself painted into such a corner that he sets himself the case up to quit, which is basically what he started to do when he thought he was going to lose the election. He started to say, oh, this is a, a fix. It's all eternal Washington politics. There's yeah. no way for me to win, blah, 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 blah. He started making the case, and then it just happened that he won. So I, there's no reason for me to think he won't use the same tactics. And I already think he started it by saying that he receives such constant negative press coverage. Remember when he said nobody was the subject of a greater witch hunt or had the yeah. worst time in politics than he did? Uh, hello, JFK memes. I think he already is sort of laying the groundwork to step down. Certainly as an outsider looking in, is while it seems that, that there's a lot for women to be concerned about, mm-hmm. at times of crisis, a number of people tend to rise up. I would say it looks like there are a lot of women to respect in America. Yeah, that's a, that's a positive note. There are some real great leaders from the female perspective in America right now. Most of them Democrats. Let's so let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren. She's senator for Massachusetts. That's right. And now she has not been in uh, office that long. But yeah, I like what she has to say. I like her politics. I think she believes what she's saying. And I think that she is a true progressive voice. I think she got caught up in a little bit of an imbroglio. I think on some ancient application, she called herself or aligned herself with some Native American heritage. And here's newsflash. Native American people can look white because oftentimes their bloodline has been intermarried with white people. So, you know, I think it was ridiculous that the right wing uh, lambasted her for that. Trump was calling out Pocahontas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which also, it's sort of like, who are you making fun of? Are you making fun of her or are you making fun of Native American people? Yeah. Maxine Walters. She speaks her mind like no woman in politics I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Love what she's saying. I think she's almost our id in a way that maybe wouldn't stand up for a woman unfortunately i mean we saw that and also a woman of color i mean yeah. it's um it's that's a double uphill battle to fight you you saw how carefully hillary clinton had to choose her words when she was campaigning and she's a white lady so get a strong black woman in there they're going to be held up to twice the amount of scrutiny sally yates has covered herself in glory in the last few months the attorney general that was sacked Yep. Um, over the for doing your job. Yeah, over the fling crisis, and she subsequently gave evidence in which she was marvelous. Yeah, and let's point out as well, it was Jeff Sessions who asked upon her nomination whether she was able to do her job uh, regardless of what party the president was aligned yeah. with. And she said, yes, of course, I will do my job. And that's 100% what she has done with Trump. She did her job, and she got asked uh, or, or told to, to leave because of it. Moving outside of the world of politics, I think that there's a lot of women in the media as well who mm-hmm. are doing a, a fantastic job. Clara Jeffrey, who is the... Mother Jones. Yeah, Mother Jones yeah. is editor-in-chief. Uh, the media is having an incredibly hard time and they are putting out some consistently wonderful content, I think. Yeah, we were having a conversation earlier today that, you know, mentioned that the ultimately the, the press and politics are supposed to be a symbiotic mm. relationship in the sense that the, you know, American politics should make sure that we protect our press and the press should be keeping politicians honest. 
And when those relationships fail, we are in definite danger. And that is definitely something that Donald Trump is trying to do right now. Um, you know, uh, But I will say, I think a lot of female journalists are doing a great job. Samantha B. I I love. She is one hell of a lady. I also would bring up Teen Vogue's editor, uh, Lauren Duca. I think she is doing a lot of work to get youth involved in politics. Also, weirdly, during the election campaign, Teen Vogue became a go-to resource Never in a million years would I think I'd be reading Teen Vogue as a 40-year-old woman. To be honest, Samantha B kind of falls into another category of comedians uh, because, yeah, Saturday Night Live, Kate yeah. McKinnon and Melissa, Melissa McCarthy are having the time of their lives, aren't they? Yeah, one of the, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably either saw on YouTube or on a, a Saturday Night Live broadcast when Kate McKinnon had to play Hillary Clinton right after the election and did the Leonard Cohen cover was one of the most beautiful moments in television, so heartbreaking. But Samantha B had um, Lizzo on as a musical guest, and she was going to sing like her hit, I think, probably as a celebratory anthem. And then it became almost a second meaning on it. Keep your chin up. I got a tequila waiting for you at home. Yeah. This, this hasn't beat us. You're still great. And it, it made me tear up because there were all these people, like these really cool-looking black women playing brass instruments. And I was like... this community is still feeling like they're going to be okay and they've got the juice and the energy to even play this song right. This community who's probably going to be dumped on the most during Trump's presidency, you know, as far as, like, the way that Americans behave towards each other, then I think I can go and march the next march as well. Do you know who's impressed, really impressed the hell out of me in the last few months and it kind of... It comes with a particular sort of tinge of sadness because she could have been America's first daughter yeah. and instead you got Ivanka Trump is Chelsea Clinton. Yep. Chelsea Clinton has gobbed off with a level of, of articulateness yep. that I, I applaud fully. I think especially when you compare the two daughters. Yeah. And maybe that's not fair, you know, but I also don't think it's fair that Ivanka Trump writes a book about how modern women can have it all yeah. when she has no awareness of her advantages. Don't, please don't use my Angelou quotes for one thing, uh, Ivanka Trump, because you've got absolutely no connection to her life. I find it slightly grating that she's given so much credit for keeping her father in check because... She's failed on every count. Uh, but also, to be honest, stopping your dad saying racist and homophobic things is a daughter's job. We all do it. Nobody can... Yeah. We all go, come on, Dad. She's not the... She's not our feminist in the White House. She's no. not the representative or the voice or the effective person that I think any of us would wish were was at Trump's side. But getting back to Chelsea Clinton, the positive thing, I mean, here's somebody that's had to deal with a bunch of shit her whole life. Getting bullied for being kind of like an awkward teenager. Yeah. You know, the, the curly hair, the face that she didn't kind of grow into at yeah. that point. That girl has had no privacy. privacy her whole life. No, I think she's dealt with it really well. I think she is um, definitely product of her upbringing. I think her mom is pretty great. Yeah. So I think, you know, she's done a good job. And I think additionally, you know, she's authoring a children book right now about she persisted I think she's taking the uh, you know the war- the line that was used against Elizabeth Warren and making a children's book about women in history who have yeah nevertheless and, she yeah persisted. exactly and I think also she stood up recently against mm-hmm. Philippine dictator what's his name Duterte Duterte yeah. and basically made some really heinous comments about ra- about allowing rape in his army 
he came back with a really vile uh, vitriolic diatribe. Now, so while we're on first daughters, we have to move to the sticky subject of first ladies. Yeah. Because it does seem like there has been some sort of backlash towards anybody criticising Melania Trump. Yeah. Which I have to say that I find quite difficult. I also have to say, cars on the table, I'm currently wearing a T-shirt with Eleanor Roosevelt's face on ah. it. Although Kate is currently wearing a T-shirt with Angela Lansbury's face on it. <laughs> That's true. And she just showed it to you even though we're on a podcast. <laughs> we, we all have our heroes. Yeah. What, what, uh, what do you make of the First Lady? Uh, what I make of her is what is transparent. I think that she's an unhappy woman who probably never wanted to be in this position. I think that she has a lack of awareness. I think it's clear that she does not enjoy him. I think all the speculation, there is a grain of truth in that. The swatting of the hand. Even if we're misreading these things. However, it is a relationship of her own choosing. So Mm. she is an adult woman. She's able to make choices. But I do think that she has a lack of awareness. And you can demonstrate that by her first lady's cause that she's chosen. Was it not going to be bullying? Internet bullying? Cyberbullying. Yeah, so start with the man in your photo. The troll in chief. I think that demonstrates a lack of awareness. I agree with her that that is a, a huge problem. But for that particular White House... Because what they're going to do, they're going to selectively choose who they think is bullying. They're going to look at Kathy Griffin and say, you're bullying and that's awful. But they're not going to say the same about all the pictures of Obama being lynched. It's difficult as well because in this country we don't quite understand the role of First Lady as such. Yeah, they're supposed to be activists of a strike. And they are supposed to be the voice of women. And I feel that that's not happening. No. That it's not. She's not. I mean... You don't need to be Eleanor Roosevelt. Most people aren't Eleanor Roosevelt, but you, Michelle Obama came quite close. She couldn't deliver a speech without cribbing Michelle Obama. How's she going to do But this? also, when he did that, that check down to Florida, mm-hmm. when he arrived in the aeroplane with the music, da 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 <laughs> and it was just horrific. And she got off the plane and she read the Lord's Prayer out. And Donald Trump came on the stage and said, oh, wasn't that beautiful? And I thought it demeaned women in such a way that if we're applauding them for getting through the Our Father. Yeah. When we've come from Michelle Obama, then that's a terrifying place for a, a yeah, woman Yeah, and it's to be not in. Donald Trump's job to tell me when I should be excited about the actions of a woman. Yeah. Because I think we have two very different standards. Yeah, um, one of the jobs historically of the First Lady has been to be this voice behind their shoulder. To be, A, giving them an alternative perspective on some of the legislation that they might be working on, or B, a, somebody who can temper their personality uh, in ways that might be necessary to deal, you know, there's another 50% of the population that's never really seen complete representation in American politics. So at least with the office of the first lady, that person is there hopefully being a representative of, you know, the majority of women. And I don't think there is a woman alive that could be that in Donald Trump's life. It's not just that Melania maybe isn't suited to the office. It's It's not that maybe she doesn't want the office. I think both of those things are true. But I also think there's nobody who could be first lady to Donald Trump. Yeah, well, that seems like a depressing note to end on. So, <laughs> <laughs> Women of America, women of the world, don't give up. Here's something positive. Sometimes you look at Republicans as a Democrat and you think, what would it take 
what would it take for you to get on the other side of this and yeah. say, this is bad for us as a nation? I was on BBC radio before the election with three Trump supporters and two other Clinton supporters. And one of them kept in touch with me, one of these Trump supporters. And he was military, as you might expect. A lot of military uh, personnel automatically uh, vote Republican. He asked to meet up last week. He said, do you want to go out for a drink? I'd love to talk about stuff. And I, you know, he started talking to me that night when we went out about just general stuff. And I was like, but what did, what did you want to say to me? And he's like, mostly I just wanted to apologize. And he's like, I think, I, I wish I could take back my vote. And weirdly, even though it's like, well, I'm too little too late, thanks pal. It also gave me hope that people aren't completely made of stone. And that even amongst people of a different stripe, there is a line. Keep working on that line. Don't punish the people who want to say sorry. It's important that just as a human race, we see that this is a bad guy. If you listen to this and you voted for Trump, but you can see if there's a glimmer, please understand, you won't get shit from me. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great, that's like a huge cuddle from Kate at the end. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kate. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Standard issue for all women. Hi, I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and this is my five-minute guide to the best TV you can watch this summer. Once upon a time, the summer was where bad TV went to die. But that's been changing in recent years. Online providers like Netflix and Amazon can release stuff regardless of whether it clashes with Wimbledon. And online piracy means that Sky is increasingly showing American series much closer to their US air dates. The net result is... You won't see a huge amount of good British drama for the next few months, but June, July and August look positively pregnant with potential when it comes to US imports. Let's start with Game of Thrones, which returns for a seventh and final series on June the 17th, with Sky Atlantic offering a a 2am showing and a more reasonably timed one at 9pm. Speculation is at fever pitch as people ponder important issues like We'll be sitting on the Iron Throne when all this ends and has Gendry just been rowing around in circles for three seasons, drinking his own wee and chewing on his shoes? If you like your TV to provoke questions, you might want to get stuck into American Gods, currently airing weekly on Amazon. Questions like, what the fuck is going on? And wasn't that bloke on Strictly Come Dancing? I've read the Neil Gaiman novel on which the series is based, so I'm not going to risk any spoilers by trying to answer question one. But yes, that is former Hollyoaks star Ricky Whittle, heading a cast which includes Pablo Schreiber, yay, Gillian Anderson, fuck yay, and Ian McShane, yay. The opening ten minutes are either going to intrigue or nauseate you, so you'll be able to tell for yourself if you want to keep watching or to go fetch a bucket. There's a very different sort of violence on show in Hulu's incredible adaptation of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, currently showing on Channel 4, with previous episodes available on 4 On Demand. Deep, dark and thought-provoking, it's anchored by another remarkable performance by Elizabeth Moss, who I fully expect to pick up an Emmy in September. I was in America recently and managed to watch almost the whole series and was mighty impressed with how it's altered and expanded on the source material. One of the series' real strengths is the portrayal of how easy it is to sleepwalk into dystopia, so frankly it couldn't be more timely. But it's worth adding that if you're disgusted by the idea of living in a world where, in order to survive, some women have no real alternative than to produce offspring for the rich, it might be worth remembering that we very much already do. 
Speaking of women-centric series, Netflix gave us new episodes of both Orange is the New Black and Orphan Black in a single weekend. A move so estrogen heavy, I'm kind of surprised we didn't all immediately get our period. Series 5 of Orange is the New Black had a difficult birth after hackers leaked episodes online when Netflix responded to ransom demands with the laudable jog on, or words to that effect. The latter part of the fourth series was some of the darkest, saddest and best TV I've seen in a long time and if this continues, season five promises to be uncomfortable viewing, especially since it's set over an incredibly short time frame, which will almost certainly compound the desire to devour it whole. What I'm basically saying here is that while I haven't watched it yet, I'm pretty sure by the time you hear this, I'll be close to the season's end, eating crunchy nut cornflakes out of the box and wondering what that smell is. Episodes of the fifth and final series of Canadian Gem Orphan Black are being released weekly, for which my circadian rhythms send their thanks. While far from flawless, the sci-fi thriller is a winning mix of drama, comedy and stealth feminism and features the most extraordinary of actresses, Tatiana Maslany, in upwards of seven roles. All previous episodes of both Orange is the New Black and Orphan Black are on Netflix, so if the summer turns out to be a washout, weather-wise, personally or financially, there are far worse ways you could spend your time than binge-watching one or even both. Just make sure you shower every few days. Sticking with Netflix, if you were understandably hoping for a second series of Stranger Things this summer, you'll be disappointed to learn it won't be arriving until Halloween. But the latest series of Florida set family saga Bloodline went online last week and Tina Fey's unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt gives us more of the same in its third series, which sounds like a criticism, but absolutely isn't. And talking of comedy goddesses, Julia Louis-Dreyfus continues to outclass all comers in the fifth series of Veep, currently available to watch on Sky Atlantic or Sky's catch-up service. While still no one manages to be as funny as JLD, the scene in which Sally Phillips talks about Stephen Fry's knobbly cock comes pretty damn close. The exception that proves the rule about the dearth of British drama this summer is Jimmy McGovern's excellent Broken, starring Sean Bean, Anna Friel and Paula Malcolmson, which is currently showing on BBC One and available on the iPlayer should you need to catch up, which I'd advise you do. Last, but by absolutely no means least, the handful of people in the UK who are watching The Leftovers will be delighted to hear that the third and final series is almost here, with Sky showing episodes weekly starting in July. This is another series I managed to watch when I was in America and can report back that it remains as blackly funny, as visually arresting and as downright weird as ever. If you want to discover why I can categorically say it is the best TV of the past decade, the first two series are on Sky's catch-up service, as well as being available to Now TV subscribers. Looking further ahead, Sky's Canada-based drama Tin Star, starring Tim Roth and Christina Hendricks, is due to arrive sometime in September, when the channel will, hopefully, also be launching HBO's new big drama, The Deuce, which there isn't time to go into here. But suffice to say, if the name's David Simon and Maggie Gyllenhaal don't draw you in, I'm not sure what will. September is also the slated release date for Amazon to deliver a third season of Outlander, which will please our friends Jen Brister and Maureen Younger over at the Droughtlander podcast. If you want to chat with me about any TV series I've talked about here, feel free to get in touch on Twitter where I'm at that Dunleavy, although maybe not about Outlander because I've not actually watched it. This was my five... Six, fuck, seven minute guide to the summer's best TV. Thanks for listening and happy viewing. Uh, uh, uh.
question. I'm not answering that. Hello, this is Sarah Milliken and this is Sarah Milliken's question time. Um, just to set the scene, I'm answering this question in my living room, uh, which smells a little bit of dog, unless you don't live here, and in which case it smells massively of dog. Uh, but at least we've got a dog, otherwise that would just be weird, right? Uh, a question I get asked a lot is, what is the best thing to drink first thing in the morning? Now, I know some people like to drink water, but they're the sort of people that go for runs and stuff as well. I mean, I get the runs, don't get me wrong, but I don't go on them. Uh, I have a glass of water by the side of my bed overnight, and I pride myself on not drinking any of it. Um, I think I think that's there for, like, choking purposes, or if I need, like, a Nurofen in the night, that sort of thing. It's not there for just, like hydration uh, some people like drinking tea first thing in the morning uh, i do drink tea all day uh, but generally not first thing um coffee one of my friends drinks coffee uh, quite a lot of coffee and she lives on her own and i stayed with her once and she i think she forgot that i was staying there and she drank the coffee that she normally has and it had the effect that she likes it to have she had to knock on the door while i was in her bath so i could get out of the bath so she could come in for a poo uh and some people drink fruit juice, but that tends to, yeah, that gives me sort of slight gut rot, so I have to be cautious with that. Uh, just a thimble full of that sometimes, so I'll, I'll just keep that for special occasions. Um, I drink Coke first thing. That's good, right? That's okay. It's got the sugar I need, it's got the caffeine I need, and it also gives me that lovely film on my teeth, that when I brush my teeth is gone, and I like the film. So I brush my teeth, I wait 20 minutes, and then I have a glass of Coke or Pepsi. Or McDonald's Cola, whatever they used to call it. <laughs> if you'd like me to answer one of your questions, then tweet us at Standard Issue UK using the hashtag SMQT. Thank you. Standard Issue for all women. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny off the blocks, your weekly guide to the comings and goings in women's sport. And the big news this week is that the Olympic Games are doing something of a Jeremy Corbyn in that they've announced programme changes designed to make the Games more youthful, urban and include more women, with a view to achieving a target of 50% gender balance at the Tokyo 2020 Games as per the Olympic agenda. So it's quite a long-standing ambition to meet that target. For example, back in Rio last year, there were the overall participation of women was 45.6% of the athletes, and that's going to rise to 48.8% in Tokyo with these changes having been made. And it is quite significant, actually. The way it works is you have your sports, you have your disciplines, you have your events, and then you have your obviously your athletes who take part in those events. So, for example, you have judo, which is a discipline, but it has a variety of different weight categories, and so each different weight category has its own event. So what's going to happen with these uh, with these changes is we're going to see a bunch of different sports achieve a gender balance 50-50 at event level and at athlete level for in some cases which is which is exciting. So we're going to see canoeing, rowing, shooting, weightlifting all achieving gender balance in events for the first time and we'll at athlete level see gender balance in those sports plus sailing and judo. And then at discipline level, and to be honest, like I don't even fucking know what this means, but at discipline level, we'll also see a gender balance in BMX racing, mountain biking and freestyle wrestling as well. 
And of course, uh, wrestling, for example, there is this curious trade-off at the moment whereby women only compete in uh, in synchronized swimming and rhythmic gymnastics, or if you like, the ones where you wear makeup, and men only compete in Greco-Roman wrestling, the one where you, I, it would seem, just sort of throw each other around a bit. Apparently, it's, it's too violent for the ladies, but it is actually quite interesting on that note of the sort of concept of violence, violent sports and women's participation in them. One of the sports where we're going to see in those different events, in those different weight categories, for example, there are far more events in the male side of boxing than there are in the women's boxing at the Olympics. And we're actually going to see in that sport, in that discipline, we're going to see a number of events taken away from the male side of the competition to make room for more women's events, which I think is is hugely significant, actually, because if you think that boxing wasn't even a sport in which women could compete until 2012 in London, and then we've seen absolutely massive strides in that since then, you know, with the likes of Nicola Adams, Katie Taylor, who are just household names now, really, and they've both gone professional in the last year, so absolutely smashing through those stereotypes. Of course, there are going to be some naysayers and, you know, there are going to be a bunch of people who say, well, why can't we have all our events still? You know, like, I, I want to have everything still. Well, you know, why can't I have more toilets? Because I'd like more toilets, actually. It seems to me it's not a very classy response when you look at the imbalance in sport in general. So I think that's huge. Possibly more significantly still... Um, What we're going to see at Tokyo for the first time, I mean, there are some events, you know, some of the the racket sports, for example, there are mixed events. But for the first time, we're going to see mixed events in athletics and swimming, where we'll see um, we'll see relay mixed relay teams. And I think that is going to be or has the potential to be huge for women's sport, because what this will actually do will mean that men and women will literally share the same platform. If you want to tune in to watch the guys running, you're going to have to watch the women running as well. The really big thing about that is that it will just force more people to watch women's sport. That is a good thing because it will help to dismiss those kind of misconceptions that women's sport is somehow less exciting or less interesting. And I think the only way really we can do that is just by offering far more exposure. And this is something that will will do that. I absolutely applaud that. I really do. I mean, we are going to see, as I said, we're going to see some debate about this still. And I don't, you know, I think there will be more. For example, athletics is one of the disciplines where there's been quite a lot of redistribution and, you know, the athletics, the International Athletics Federation will will argue that they've been a bit hard done by. But the change has to come from the top. It absolutely has to come from the top. And that's the only way we can see real change in the disparity between male and female sport. It's going to be really interesting to see how this one pans out. So that's all for this week. Next week, we'll be chatting to Jenny Gunn, who has a very, uh, she's she's very name appropriate for this segment, so I'm obviously delighted about that. And she'll be talking to us about the England cricket team's World Cup aspirations with that competition kicking off on the 24th of June. It's time for Dunleavy Does Disney. 
So Hannah, this week you watched 1994's The Lion King. I did. Um, we actually got our English teacher to let us watch that at A-level because it's so like Hamlet. Really? Yeah. He, he went along with it. Um, he hadn't seen it. I, well, I hadn't seen it before. There was, before I watched it this time. There was like a 15-year period between me leaving home and my nephew becoming old enough to take to the cinema when I didn't see any Disney films at all. And this falls into that period. Um, that said, when I told my family I was doing this, I discovered that all of them had seen it and that some of them had also seen the musical together which leads me I know it leads me to believe there's been a a sad face there's been a lot of conversations in my family that start shall we invite Hannah and end (laughs) she'll only ruin it yeah that's fair enough um so without further ado Dunleavy do the Lion King well as you said it's sort of Hamlet in the jungle yeah well not in the jungle the plain Actually, I don't know where it is. It's a place that all the animals live together in harmony, except the hyenas, who are cunts, apparently. Um, The guy charges a lion, and he looks like Barry Gibb, and he sounds like Darth Vader. And his mate, as in the lioness that he makes with, rather than the guy he chats football with, she has a boy cub, and everybody in the entire kingdom is well happy, except the king's brother, Scar, and he's like Prince Harry from the darkest timeline. He just sits in the shadows <laughs> and presumably, given the state of his eyes and his goatee, takes meth. Very they, yellow is eyes. They are very yellow. Very That's yellow. actually quite a common theme in Disney. Yellow and green eyes are bad. Meth addicts. Yeah, meth addicts are also bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it turns out the king's one of those pricks who puts pictures of their kids all over Facebook oh and then moans that people don't like them. <laughs> Because um, he goes off to see his brothers to tell him off for not like worshipping the baby. Okay. Um, and I've got to say, I've got a certain sympathy for Scar here, especially since Simba is is kind of annoying. Yeah, he's a, he's a little git. He's he is attention yeah, I mean, seeking to the degree that his dad says to him, "You know, one day all this will be yours, son, but only when I die." And immediately he goes out and starts singing, "I just can't wait to be king." What an absolute dick. Quite. Tiny little furry douchebag. But, well, he gets his comeuppance because you should be careful what you wish for because Scar engineers the death of the king and it turns out Simba doesn't actually want to be in charge at all and he runs away. I know, it's like Brexit all over again. (laughs) So Wait, did you just compare Simba to Nigel Farage? uh, Well, no, no. Um, I think maybe Scar's a bit more like Nigel Farage. So Simba runs off and he starts living with a warthog and a creature that I just couldn't identify what it was supposed to be. Uh, but it's voiced it's by... It's a makeup. Is it? It's a makeup. Uh, but it's got like an orange hat on. I mean, uh, they've taken certain liberties, I think, with how animals actually behave. But... Uh, okay. Well, he's voiced by Nathan Lane, who I have to say is always value for money. So, But they wander around singing Akuna Matata, which mm-hmm. is basically Don't Worry, Be Happy, Except yeah. Worse. Uh, which I didn't actually think was possible. And uh, they sing that and then they eat insects for as long as it takes for Simba to become a lion that looks like Barry Gibb, but <laughs> sounds like Ferris Bueller. And then he goes back and takes revenge on Scar, who's become like some sort of Hitler for hyenas, and everybody lives happily ever after. There is that scene. There's the Hitler scene. Yeah. Oh, God, it's terrible. It's, it's yeah, terrible. It's quite unnerving. So I suppose Scar is, in that way, more like Nigel Farage, but they have it. So, um, I'm not sure by that plot summary whether to determine you liked it or not. Did you like it? Well, sort of. Pa- sort of. Parts of it are really good. A Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg's in it. Um, she's playing a she's hyena. A, she's chief cunt hyena, right? She is, yeah. Um, and so that's great. And there is a lovely scene where all the animals are discussing, looking at the stars in the sky and discussing what they think the stars might be. 
and they all have different suggestions and then the warthog says he's always thought that they're big burning pools of gas like millions of miles away and everybody just laughs at him and dismisses it which I really liked I feel um, like you related a little bit to that yeah, yeah but, um, I was a bit disappointed by the music because that's that's the thing I'd always been led to believe what? was was the thing that made the Lion King like like it's set apart from all the others because it's, it's, it's Tim Rice and Elton John um, I mean the least said about Akuna Matata the better but even Can You Feel the Love Tonight which I can't say I like as a song okay but when sung by Elton John it's about the only Disney ballad that doesn't make me want to smash it up well I mean that's that's sort of a recommendation yeah but that's completely squandered in the film it's, it's not it's delivered really badly in the film so in summary I don't know if I liked it or not which isn't helpful I'm aware was there a message that anyone could take from The Lion King? Um, well, I mean, you're right, because Disney films do usually have a message. You Some know, sort of moral... Usually it's women need saving, or, you know, believe in yourself, or yeah. something like that. Um, but but this just seems to be one long advert for hereditary monarchy, <laughs> which, which doesn't seem like... So I've missed something. So either there wasn't a message, or there was a message, but it was relayed in a frequency that only children can hear. Okay, now we need to know the important stuff. What's the score? The score. I'm going I'm to give it three slaughtered antelopes out of five. It's not bad going. Not bad. I reckon after I've sat through however many Disney horrors have waked me, I might look back on this more kindly. It's always toughest when it's one of the early reviews. Yeah. To gauge the level of slaughtered gazelles slash antelopes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there you have it. Three out of five at the moment. That's good. And I've just got to say, it's taken every fibre of my being not to burst into some sort of song. <laughs> it's a circle of life. No one, no yeah. one needs that. Oh, I have to say that the thing that actually I felt most sentimentally attached to about The Lion King is that first bit, The Circle of Life. Yeah. And that's largely because Barack Obama used it in that great uh, speech he gave at the White House Correspondence thing where he gave it as evidence of his, his long-form birth certificate. Absolutely lovely yeah. bit of business from Barrett there. Yeah. But anyway, so next week... Yep. I'm going to be watching Oof, Cinderella. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my I God. I don't know if I'm going to recover from it. I take it you'll be wearing some sort of ball gown and glass slippers as you watch. Let's, let's wait and see. <laughs> let's wait and see. Thank God there aren't any pictures well, of it. Well, I am dressed as a lion now, so That's I feel like true. if we've made the effort of that, then we should, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I should have mentioned that at the top, guys. Hannah is actually <laughs> dressed entirely as a lion. And chewing as everything. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. It smells meaty in here. <laughs> <laughs> Standard issue for all women. That's all for this week's podcast. Thanks for joining us and special thanks to Hannah's cat Peggy who you might have heard lending a paw on the Bush Telegraph. Join us next week when comedian Kerry Pritchard-McLean will be giving us her five-minute guide to festivaling and Mickey will be catching up with the guilty feminist Deborah Francis-White in the first of our podcast exchanges. Our music was composed and recorded by Barry Hilton, all rights reserved. Thanks to David Young, Mary Young and John Clare for their help with the stings. We have an archive full to brimming with excellent articles over at www.standardissuemagazine.com and Sarah's got a whole third of her website devoted to us. We also have various in-conversation events coming up and loads more of these planned across the country, not just in London, so please keep an eye on our events page, which you'll find at sarahmillican.com forward slash standard hyphen issue we jeffing love to hear from you and you can write to us at mailbag at standardissuemagazine.com follow us on twitter at standardissueuk or find us on facebook and instagram
All of our podcasts are available on iTunes and Podomatic. Stay frosty, champs. Standard issue for all women.